coming to you from our new home at DynastyLeagueFootball.com and a DLF family of podcasts. We are the Superflex Super Show. We talk QB values, Superflex strategies, evaluate and debate Superflex trades, plus our own twist on Superflex team management with exercises like Tinderflex, Super 6, and You Are Nuts. So when you're done with this awesome DLF podcast, find us on Twitter at Superflex Show and join us in the discussion of the fastest growing format in all of fantasy football, Superflex, on the Superflex Super Show. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and learn some at once. When the math's not adding up, you said I'm checking out. I'm just Welcome to the ground. Welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts. This week I want to talk about sophomore wide receivers. This is actually a second time. In fact, if you include all the stop starts, this is about the 15th time I've recorded this. But I've done it once through right, but I felt like I lost the plot. In fact, I forgot what I started with and ended somewhere else um, after editing it. So we're trying again. Both wide receivers and running backs entering their second year see the largest jump in opportunity um, on average throughout their NFL career. Now, when you dig down into individual player seasons, that's going to look very different. For example, Robert Woods going to the Rams and finally found it, finding his homeland in order to start producing fantasy points is going to look remarkably difficult, different to the average. However, however, on average, it is what we see. Now, the average is useful for only so much. It gives us a background understanding to what happens. So, wide receivers that have two or more top 24 seasons jump, on average, from around a 16% target share to a 20% target share in year two. Following on in year three, four, and five, they hover around between 22 and 23 and 24%, depending on if you're Andre Hopkins uh, or if you're, say, Mike Evans, for example. So, individual players are going to differ from the average, but the average does tell us what to expect and what we can compare players to. This is kind of the baseline or the beginning of my uh, every process, really. Trying to understand what's happened in the past, looking at the examples of what's happened in the past, who was on the outside or the extremes on either side of the average, try to best understand what's happening for this individual player going into next season. So, Looking at the 2021 season and the sophomore wide receiver class, which was phenomenal in their rookie year, what can I tell you? Well, much like combine metrics, where an individual number might be positive and another number might be negative, say your speed score and your BMI, it doesn't necessarily mean that those two conflict to a point that you shouldn't like to play it. Or in another word, or in other words, another way of putting that is that there's no magic combination of the right kind of combine metrics that highlight a player that you should draft. Ultimately, while being athletic and having different athletic traits can lead to an advantage in the NFL, ultimately it's about how that player uses those traits and if he uses them in a way that's going to be successful in the NFL, which is why production over combine metrics actually gives signal and gives you a better edge at understanding who is going to be productive once they elevate to the NFL level. It's about what they're able to do with what they have. In the same way, if you look at rookie year stats and think of a player as below average because they didn't hit the right target share, 
or didn't hit the right expected points per game, then that is a fair baseline. But if you combine it with other stats, looking at past examples, you'll actually find a better process for developing whether you like or don't like a player going into their second season. The old adage... The old adage? I don't know. How old am I at this point? I don't know. It's been going on a while. I've been hearing it since I started playing fantasy football. Is that we give up too soon. I think that's the baseline for most people. We live in hope. We are fans. And therefore, ultimately, we are always hoping our favorite guys or the guys we want to be really good in the NFL could be really good. We like sleepers. We like late round picks. We like more points than we expected or could have expected based on where we drafted someone because that's a league-winning kind of draft pick or trade and so on and so on and so forth. However, hate to be the wet blanket fantasy football, but it does seem to be my role. Actually, when looking at the data that measures whether we're fading or improving or going all in on or whatever we want to say the opposite is on players actually has a relatively good hit rate. Based on the article I recently wrote and researched for DLF, about 94% of players that we fade, wide receivers that we fade in their sophomore seasons by one round or more, fail to have any significant fantasy seasons after that point. And that's not an insignificant list. That's full of people with draft capital and people without draft capital. Now, by one round doesn't mean that we necessarily fade them outside the top 200 picks or anything, but it does mean that the market is expressing a disappointment with their rookie season. Now, I like to learn from other people and value other people's opinions. And honestly, while DLS ADP isn't, what should we call that? And statistically, you wouldn't say it's a good sample size. We're essentially using six drafts to try and express the feelings of a very broad-ranging market that mostly aren't even participating on Twitter, let alone on DLF mock drafts. But those who participate in DLF ADP mock drafts with Ryan McDowell and everyone else that's running Superflex drafts over there right now tend to be at least aware. They're aware enough that they're engaging in content through the off-season. So they're... Their internalization and expression of how they felt about a player's rookie season doesn't just incorporate one simple stat. His target share wasn't too high enough. He didn't get enough touchdowns. And it's not all the opposite either. My Fifi's got hurt because he wasn't as good. It actually works out to be a fairly effective combination and group source opinion that is worth paying attention to. So I want to know that. I like knowing that 94% of players since 2013, that the entire group of six people, um, over a month, over six different drafts, 12 people in six different drafts, obviously, have faded by more than a round from their rookie ADP, have gone on to be unsuccessful. That tells me that the market is actually pretty effective. And that brings me to my new favorite saying, which is that player you liked who sucked probably just sucks. Going back to the difference between fantasy and real football, that in no way says that player is not good anymore. Because as we recently, uh, since Kelvin Benjamin's in the news, I'll point out that Kelvin Benjamin had one of the best rookie seasons, along with the rest of the 2014 class, that we've ever seen. It ranks up there with Brandon Ayuk, who I like to put next to each other pretty often and let you make of that what you will. But we never really got to see Kelvin Benjamin's career play out after that. And his ADP didn't drop after the rookie season, obviously, since he was an uh, incredible producer producing with the likes of Odo, Beckham, Jarvis Landry, and everyone else. So it's worth pointing out that those who elevate an ADP by more than a round after their rookie season are actually more of a 50-50 bet. 
but those who are faded by the market are a 94%. If I could find a 94% hit rate in anything else, I think they'd crown me. There are exceptions. That's at 6%. Now, most of that 6% is Tyler Boyd, because we all took crazy pills, I think, around Tyler Boyd's ADP. He had, by any of these benchmarks, by the way, and using career average stats for wide receivers who have two top 24 uh, fantasy seasons, I look at at least 15 different stats from position rank, position points per game position rank, team position rank, opportunities, like literally total touches they had on the team, their target share, their target share per game, per game, their receiving yards, and I'm not even getting fancy yet, but here you go, expected points per game, fantasy points over expected points per game, yards per team pass attempt per game, <laughs> uh, yards per team snap per game, which I only have since 2012, and points per game, dominator rating, opportunity score, and so on. I'm not rattling off stats to you to show how much of a real nerd I am, just that Tyler Boyd was over all of those in his rookie season, and we dropped him by more than a round. Now, he had a disappointing second year, and we dropped him by 10 rounds, and this just seems to be something we thought about Tyler Boyd. I was there at the time, and honestly, I was expressing at the time, this was kind of crazy. It's the easiest and most obvious dynasty buy I've literally seen since starting to play the game. So, what was happening there? I don't know. People don't like small guys who play for the Bengals. That's There you go. That's it. He had draft capital. He did well his rookie season. We all took crazy pills. But there is market inefficiency, and I only have ADP since 2013 from DLF. Now, well, that's actually at this point a fairly significant sample size to be this consistent year over year. But where was I? Uh, I do want to pay attention to whether the market is effectively fading a player. Because I never didn't like Tyler Boyd, and it feels like my rookie evaluation was just so solid that this is proof of it, right? The market didn't like him, and therefore my rookie evaluations are great. And while I do have a lot of trust and belief in my rookie evaluations, I mean, Nikhil Harry exists, so I do have to keep remembering that they can fail. Every once in a while. Quite a lot, actually. We're really bad at rookie evaluations. But the truth is... That was probably just a market inefficiency. Now, because none of these stats, even combined, like the combine metrics metaphor that I walked you through, um, creates a perfect symbiosis where if a rookie player does this and this, they are going to hit. There's no such combination that exists. You have to evaluate them on a per individual season basis, taking into context their situation. So there are things we need to know about what we should expect or how we should understand what a rookie should be capable of, especially based on context situations like draft capital that also factor into this. So let's start from the beginning. Running backs are given their opportunity and perform on it and they don't. So essentially, if you're looking at the running back position, which we're not today, maybe another day, we're not judging a player by only breaking out towards the end of the season like Cam Akers. Essentially, we're waiting for them to earn opportunity. If they have draft capital, we expect them to do it. And if they don't, we might start getting slightly worried about it. Such as, at this point for Rashad Penny, you have to kind of admit that something does not seem right. Because even though running backs are given opportunity, he's been a first-round pick for several years now and not managed to earn even like a 30% opportunity score like Daryl Henderson did with the aforementioned Cam Akers. 
So that has more to say about it. But running backs also break out into the top 12 most often in their first year. We should expect them to earn that, get that opportunity earlier in their NFL career than wide receivers. But like Cam Akers, like DeAndre Swift, it is fair to look at the context of their season and that they have to convince one way or the other, whether it's off the field, on the field, or on the practice field, the coaching staff to give them a certain amount of that opportunity before they can perform on it. They can't force the issue as easily based on the historic tracking of how, how careers go as wide receivers can. And we've talked about this in a lot in a lot of different contexts, but wide receivers can essentially earn or create targets by playing well. Running backs are either on the field or they are not. And so, so and whether a few of them on the field at any one time, that means it's more to do with coaching decisions. And so we have to judge them slightly differently. So what does that mean for wide receivers? Well, let me give you an example from this year. Michael Pittman and Henry Ruggs are both being drafted ahead of Jalen Rager right now. Now, again, ADP does not translate very directly into uh, trade value, for example, which is obviously where we're leaning if we're thinking about inefficiencies in the market while looking at sophomore wide receivers, knowing that sophomore wide receivers receive the biggest bump in opportunity and performance, and we see them level out after that. As in... As in the way that if a player sucks, he probably just sucks for fantasy, not in real life, not how good he is in the NFL, and all the reality-based reasons where a good player could never see it actually come together um, for him actually in real life. We should also know that wide receivers and running backs do show us who they are earlier than we are likely to accept. So we're looking for market inefficiencies, i.e. we give up too early, on players who actually contextually did well. But ultimately, ADP tells us that we are fairly good at assessing if we're, we experienced a good season or a bad season, and those inefficiencies are actually fairly rare. So that should actually be our default. The old adage is a trope. It is a myth. We give up too soon. Now, nah, actually, you probably don't give up soon enough. To show you where that comes from, however, let's look at any one of those stats. For wide receivers, let's look at target share. I said six wide receivers who go on to have two top 24 seasons in the NFL average 16%. So that's that's everyone who earns a 20% target share in their year one, plus Demarius Thomas, who basically did nothing in his first season despite being a high draft pick and a monster in college and eventually a monster produ producer in the NFL averaging to 16%. Now, that average is actually since 2009, so it cuts out a few of those players, obviously. However, 20 that, that actually means that 41 breakouts have happened since 2009 with at least two top 24 seasons. So the number is 41. Players who have below 16.6 is actually the number target share in their rookie seasons went on to break out, so a lower than the average number, in 21 instances. So essentially 50% 50, 50 of the wide receiver breakouts on this very good list, because if we all had two top 24 seasons, we're not talking no DJ Sharks here. We're talking the players that you want, the Jarvis Landrys and to the Mike Evanses. I don't know how to pluralize that one. Anyway, so the, the cream of the fantasy wide receiver crop, 21 or 50% of breakouts had below the average in target share. And it's pretty much that across the board, across all the nerdy stats I listed to you, about 50% had above the average and 50% had below the average. So the old average adage is 
true in that sense. What do any of these averages mean if there's no perfect combination of two different stats that we can say make a player good or a player bad or likely to break out in their second or third year or moving forward? And half of them are over the average and half of them the under the average. Essentially, you're giving me absolutely no information with this average number. Well, I am, and I'm saying you should assess the situation using the average as baseline, but look over the context of their season. For example, Jalen Rager, Michael Pittman, and Henry Ruggs. Michael Pittman had a 14% target share in his rookie season last year. Jalen Rager had a 14% target share in his rookie season last year. Henry Ruggs had a 10% target share in his rookie season last year. Jalen Rager is currently being drafted behind both, despite having the same target share and a higher whopper than both um, Henry, uh, Michael Pittman and Henry Ruggs. So actually the same target share as Michael Pittman, but a higher whopper, which is weighted opportunity rating, assessing the value of your targets based on the number of air yards you have. So, is this a market inefficiency? Well, one thing is certain, that ADP does not reflect trade value. They probably all trade around the same value, and the guy who drafted Jalen Rager, since he was drafted much higher in rookie drafts, is probably unlikely to give you a Michael Pittman-like discount. Essentially, trade calculators like those on DLF value them all as high-end for second-round picks. If I'm trading for Jalen Rager, that's kind of the value I'm looking for, but I would not expect to find it in the trade market. No one's going to trade you Jalen Rager for a second round pick. They want to value him as a first. So instead, you've got to trade him with players as if Jalen Rager is just implant first round pick, but you're actually getting a slight discount because maybe you're higher or lower on certain players. That's, I think, would be the way to play the trade market on this one, but this is not a trade podcast, as I am clearly demonstrating. Moving on. What does this mean? Is this a market inefficiency? I think so. Michael Pittman had the same target share. Honestly, he got in the field before Jalen Rager, who didn't really get on the field till week seven, and he had higher target shares than Jalen Rager did for the majority of the season in the games he was on the field. I think the experiential, if I can conjugate that word, difference in their eight, reflected in their ADPs is that I remember Michael Pittman being relatively rarely a factor, but when he was a factor, it was a touchdown or a play that made people post it on Twitter. Whereas Jalen Rager, in a shortened season, got the same target share for the season proper, but there were less highlight plays. They were not associated with uh, touchdowns, big plays, or fantasy-making differences games. I think that's what's going on between the two. Is it more positive that Michael Pittman got on the field and earned similar opportunity for the season proper than not? I don't think so. I think 14% target share in half the season is different than 14% target share in a more fuller season. He still did miss a game or two. So in that way, I think there is a slight market inefficiency putting Rager below Michael Pittman, but I'm also holding very tight to my rookie profile, like that guy who has Jalen Rager in your league if you go and trade for him. So it's up to you to read that. Henry Ruggs had a lower WAP, a lower target share, was available for the entire season, and didn't do as well as either of them in terms of earning opportunity. That's not a bad thing, but because we broadly speaking know that wide receivers force the issue since he was available since he could have pl- and did play more often than either Pittman or Rager and had a lower, tar- lower target share and whopper than both of them he, sh- he shouldn't be valued similarly to them I would still put Rager over Pittman and R- uh, and Rager over Pittman and Ruggs 
Um, but I think Pittman makes a more interesting case for himself. But that's just looking at a few, uh, one or two tiny stats in this one clustered situation between wide receiver 44 and wide receiver 50, I believe they're all ranked. However, I'm actually tired of borrowing the opinion of the market. I think it's relatively useful to know that the market is effective because it's taught me that we give up, don't give up soon enough. But I'm more interested in highlighting those inefficiencies. So what I ended up doing is building a sophomore model this offseason that combines a per-game performance uh, level um it uses per game performance metrics to assess how well they play compared to past breakouts who broke out after their first year. So I started with second year breakouts, built in third year breakouts, and essentially it now projects points per game the following season based on three individual stats, specifically looking at rookies into sophomore years, but I started to apply it more broadly than that because without being a tape grinder, I like a way to refer to how good their season ex- was in terms of experience. Essentially, I'm trying to recreate the ADP value, the experiential value of their season in some sort of points per game projection through a model. How good it is it? It's okay. It beats target share, beats points per game, it beats expected points per game when projecting sophomores into their, well, rookies into their sophomore season on a points per game basis. But like all of my models, I know the guy who built it, I wouldn't trust it too far, but I do find it an interesting way to evaluate whether a market is being efficient or inefficient in fading a player, looking for those few examples of sleepers that are actually maybe worth a damn. So what what did it use? I guess you might be interested in that. It uses um, expected points per game. It uses yards per snap. And before 2012, I don't have snaps. So it, it implants yards per team attempt, which is a poor replacement for it because it was built around yards per snap. It's just a different number. Um, but I wanted some way to look past 2012. None of the players I've mentioned today or will mention today in this episode are using yards per attempt in the place, but it's worth knowing if you look at my NFL database that that's what's happening pre-2012 because we don't have snap data before that. It also uses fantasy points over expected per game because we're looking for a per game performance level here. And we do know from Blair Andrews' work over on Rotoviz, which I have pumped and mentioned before, um, that rookies who are efficient tend to get garner larger opportunity shares the following year in that they are a higher hit rate bucket for players who get more opportunity in year two following that average trend of their uh, of players overall career production going back and looking at sophomore players who broke out to at least a top 24 level what i found is that the the sophomore model that i've created rarely gives a player less than 10 points per game projections um, if they're going to break out. There are a few examples, and most of them can be explained by draft capital, because the context in which a player is trying to earn opportunity still matters, especially for a rookie player. For example, Michael Gallup scored an 8.8, which is below that 10 average that I was telling you about literally three seconds ago. Michael Gallup scored an 8.4 in his rookie season, but he was a third-round draft pick rather than a first- or a second-round draft pick. DJ Chark scored a 6.8, but was drafted in the first two rounds, and we yet to see him continue that performance. Honestly, I think his second second year breakout was one of those one and done situations where it's just a happenstance of that particular year rather than necessarily a function of the player. 
Robbie Anderson scored a 9.7, barely below that 10 threshold, and he was an undrafted free agent. And remember we're looking at a per-game performance, which is meant to account for some of that, but lower-drafted players do struggle to get that opportunity enough that they... I think it's reasonable, especially looking at the history of the sophomore model, to expect players not to quite hit the same thresholds of those who were drafted in the first two rounds. Tyrell Williams, for example, like DJ Chark, has yet to follow up his second-year performance, but he was an undrafted free agent and scored a 9.4 in his rookie season and then broke out in year two. Alan Hearns, an undrafted free agent who broke out in year two, scored an 11.04, suggesting that we shouldn't be too lenient with players that are drafted low, because it is possible, since we're using a per-game performance look to assess uh, a player's rookie season, that an undrafted, even an undrafted free agent can get up to these kind of levels. Um, the main miss I find in the second-year breakout list, at least, is Al- Alshon Jeffrey. Obviously, he was drafted at pick 45 year overall, very high-drafted player, very touted, very respected, and went on to have a prolific career with the Chicago Bears. He scored a 9.79. The reason I'm running through some of these examples, because we could look at better at larger lists, obviously, specifically looking draft class for draft class, but I'm trying to give you a brief brief overview of how well this model, I think, works to give an indication of whether they were actually good in their rookie season, whether it was shortened or not, because split stats do not work, and they are a lie, and you shouldn't get fooled into thinking Jalen Rager only played seven games, and so if you only look at those seven games, split stats don't work that way, but we can look at their performance on a per-game basis to see how well it compares to past players who have then gone on to break out. When I've done that, there are some misses, Michael Gallup and Alshon Jeffrey being one, but if you give some allowance for draft capital and also just accept sometimes a nine is decent, then um, we can cover most of those misses. Somewhat. I just don't want you out there thinking I'm I, 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 thinking I'm saying I've cracked the sophomore uh, conundrum. I have not. There are, there's plenty of reasons to still read into the context of an individual player season, but it's one of the new ways I'm trying to ha- find potential market inefficiencies. All right, so I know how far we are into it here, but we're going to crack on and kind of get to the conclusion here, or the big reveal. Um, sophomore seasons. Now, j- just to be clear, I'm not going to run through Justin Jefferson, C.D. Lamb, Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins, um, or Jerry Dude. Jerry Judy. Like, if you're not in on those guys, I don't know, may, maybe like six-man redraft leagues of you. I, I don't know. I'm just saying. And one who is interesting, because he's going above Jerry Judy, is one of the reasons Jerry Judy currently is below, has fallen around in ADB since his rookie season, and I think he could be that Tyler Boyd exception. But I'm, I believe, I believe in you guys, I really do, that by next month you can fix that. Because Jerry Judy had a phenomenal rookie season. And he had 11.87 according to the sophomore model. He was over, like Tyler Boyd, most of those rookie stats on average in your first year before you go on to have two top 24 seasons. Denver is a scary situation, but both Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy tend to be somewhat muted in ADP, and I think if that continues, they're going to start to be heavy targets for me in Dynasty, because they shouldn't be, but ignoring all those guys. The one that's interesting is Chase Claypool. He's actually going ahead of Jerry Judy. He's got a 13.81 in this sophomore model. He had a very, very good rookie season. Now, I personally, as you may or may not know, 
preferred Juju Smith-Schuster on that roster for reasons I've outlined a lot and often, so I'm not going to go into it right here. But I think even with those outsized touchdown expectations of Chase Claypool, that Kelvin Benjamin-like touchdown problem, he did have a very good rookie season, and so I think he's fairly valued in ADP. I don't think he's being overdrafted. Again, Kelvin Benjamin seems to be the exception to these kind of models, but we never really got to see his career play out. Since he's in the news right now, uh, like I said, um, it's fairly interesting to rethink his career and what he might have been if it played on a little bit more without the NFL-level drama he's had. So after that, we've got Michael Pittman, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Rager comes next, Donald Moody, Gabe Davis, Brian Edwards, Denzel Mims, and KJ Hamler. Not to read through the entire list, I'm just going to tell you who I think seems to be a market inefficiency. One of them is Jalen Rager. I don't think he's far enough over the mark that I wouldn't trade for him unless I'm getting some sort of discount or value back for the future, because that was a very disappointing rookie season. He was below the average across most of those stats that I pulled up for wide receivers that go on to have two top 24 seasons. But when your role is per game performance through yards per snap, fantasy points over expected per game, and then expected points per game, so his overall volume on a per-game basis when he was on the field, he does look like he had a pretty decent performance on a shortened season. Split stats don't work. This is another variation of a split stat, but I think it's fair to say that I still value Jalen Rager over Henry Ruggs. I still value him over Michael Pittman. I value him closer to where I have Chase Claypool and LaVisca Chenault, and so this might be a slight market inefficiency. However, the market inefficiency of all market inefficiencies, at least for the 2020 class, is Darnell Mooney. He's drafted just after Rager, he scored 11.2, and he was drafted 173rd overall. He's a fourth-round pick, people, and he outperformed Jalen Rager on a per-game basis. If he was drafted in the second round, we would have him drafted all the way up. Um, I think we've gone too far out of fear of his draft capital. Honestly, I really do. I think, um, I know we have to question whether the Bears are going to screw this up for us, but based on his rookie season, I think he has the goods. I think he's a strong dynasty buy right now, and he's mispriced by the market. He looks to be the true market inefficiency of the 2020 class, and I have some interest still in Jalen Rager because he got over that 10 number, drafted 21st overall, and... He had a great rookie profile. Maybe he can still pull it together. Gabe Davis, no. Brian Edwards is the one that I'm fading. I had a very strong rookie profile, so I want to go back in on him. But even on this per-game basis, look, he scored a 6.3, and he was drafted 81st overall, so there is some slight forgiveness for that. Antonio Brown, for example, the Antonio Brown, scored similar and to him in his rookie season, but Antonio Brown was drafted in the sixth round, which was a lot better than Edwards, and, and, and Antonio Brown even had a thicker depth chart to work through than Brian Edwards did last year. Henry Ruggs wasn't holding anyone back, despite Dar- um, despite Waller's dominance in that offense, there are still targets to go around, and neither wide receiver was able to make any earn any opportunity for themselves, and so I'm highly dubious about going back in on the Brian Edwards profile. Similar with Denzel Mims, he actually had some of the more interesting stats on that average view. He had a higher target share, he had a higher whopper, he he, he operated at like a 28 and 30% target share in multiple games for the Raiders, uh, for the Jets last year. But his overall 
season, despite that rookie profile, despite being drafted 59th overall last year, was still below that 10 mark. Again, even Rager in a shortened season that we definitely had a negative experience with based on ADP was able to do better than that on a per-game basis. And so I'm kind of out on both Edwards and Mims. KJ Hamler's fine right now based on his value. Uh, it was disappointing, but I don't think anyone's stressing over the third-round pick he might cost. Van Jefferson and Marcus Callaway is... Marcus Callaway is, is devastatingly interesting as an undrafted free agent scoring a 7.38. We really didn't play enough last year for me to be able to trust even this per-game basis model. But he's still an interesting undrafted free agent from the 2020 class. Van Jefferson, he now has yet one more tick box in the things that he's never done that are interesting other than being drafted, overdrafted, um, in the NFL. Like, that's like 6.9 despite being drafted 57th overall. I, he, I, I'm not clogging my roster. If I can't trade him, I'm cutting him. Tyler Johnson scored a 6.3 despite being drafted 161st overall. That's bad. But he has a high enough rookie profile that the third round pick he costs, I still might let him clog my roster here and there. Quintus Cephas, on the other hand, no. He's drafted in a similar range. He scores slightly better in this per-game model, but was nowhere near as productive as Tyler Johnson, so there's less reason for me to be forgiving of that um, sophomore score. Um, and Lim Bowden finally scored an 8.7, being drafted 80th overall. We still don't know if he's a wide receiver or a running back. Um, I think he's somewhat interesting because of that multifaceted, the, the hybrid-type nature of his, of his um, NFL career so far. Uh, and that could have future trade value, or especially in Miami, which I think he's still rostered in Miami. I know he's already bounced around a few teams. He might be an interesting back-of-the-roster hold, um, and that's about it for the 2020 class. So, uh, to recap that list, outside of the ones you definitely should know that you should value, Jerry Judy, T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk, C.D. Lamb, and Justin Jefferson. The two that look like very that market inefficiencies are Jalen Rager and Donald Mooney, and I would be much more tempted to go out and send trade offers for Donald Mooney than Jalen Rager. Jalen Rager scored over a 10 in a model and I created in his basement that has somewhat limited effectiveness at predicting who had a good rookie season. That's it. Um, if you're interested in seeing any of that, obviously it's my um, NFL database, which is Patreon only, but... My pinned tweet, both on Patreon and on Twitter, is the free database I put out with college statistics of everyone who's been an NFL prospect since 2000. In there, there's now a link to something called the NFL Basic Database, because I've figured out that most people don't want to see everything all at once anyway, and so I created like a basic look with, uh, like people ask all the time, could I just see breakout age instead of all of this stuff? So I created a, a basic, a, a more a, a streamlined version of both my NFL and my college database. I don't update it nearly as regularly as the other two. And obviously there's less in there than the other two. Um, uh, but only the NFL database is actually behind the Patreon wall, the college database. And now this um, basic NFL database is available through the same link. It's actually in the other databases tab. You click on the link, it takes you straight to the NFL database, so you can explore uh, player through there as well, if you're interested. Uh, yeah, I can't do plugs, but I would do plugs for the stuff that's free. Go f go freaking figure why, why, I guess. Anyway, um, 
that's the end of it. Um, I, I hope you found some of that interesting. If you did, leave a like, a review, a YouTube comment, because we're on we're on YouTube, Dynasty Crossroads, hitting the big time. Um, really appreciate it. I will talk to you again next time. Uh, thanks very much, and uh, yeah, have a good day. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that I like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.